0: If I tell you someone is an energy healer, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Are you triggered? Dismissive? Or maybe intrigued? Maybe you think of energy healing as woo woo and regulated to the realm of new age hippies with no grounding in reality or science. Or maybe, like me, you're curious. Maybe you don't know enough about the subject to have an educated opinion, but you're intrigued. If that sounds like you, stick around. This is going to be fun. and welcome to the over 50 health and wellness show. I'm your host Kevin English. I'm the founder of the Silver Edge and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life. So you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a great show for you today. Cindy Dale is here and she is going to share her life as an energy healer with us. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by The Silver Edge. The Silver Edge is my online nutrition, exercise and lifestyle coaching business catering to those of you over 50 who aren't ready to give up and buy into the common narrative that it's all downhill from here. At The Silver Edge, we take a health-first approach to working with our clients to help them build lean, strong, vital bodies that last. Look, there's simply no shortage of lose-weight-quick products and coaches out there in the world, but here's the deal. You can either lose weight quickly or permanently. So if you're tired of losing and gaining the same weight over and over again, if you're tired of constantly dieting, if you have a poor relationship with food, exercise, or your body, then I invite you to book a call and see if our services are a good fit for you. The easiest way to do this is head over to silveredgefitness.com and click on the coaching tab or just shoot us an email at coach at silveredgefitness.com. Okay, enough of that. Let's get on with today's show. Mm -hmm. My guest today is Cindy Dale. Cindy is an internationally renowned author, speaker, intuitive energy healer, and professor of energy medicine. She has authored over 30 books on energy healing, spirituality, and intuition, including her most recent book titled, Energy Work for the Everyday to Elite Athlete. Join us today as Cindy shares her fascinating insights on energy healing and its profound impacts on healthy aging. I started our conversation by asking Cindy how she became interested in the subject of energy healing.
1: Well, I do energy work, energy healing, intuitive work. I'm a normal person too. (laughs) I'm a mother. I walk dogs. I love to travel. You know, I was one of those very odd kids that, and there are probably many of us, when I was a kid, I saw energy. I could see colors around people and energy inside of them. Sometimes I would get a dream and it would come true. Uh, So, you know, I didn't know I was an energy person when I was little. I just thought I was normal. Then I found out I wasn't so normal. And so I've kind of had to kind of crawl back up into figuring out what was I doing? What is all of this? And what's the science? What's the spirit of it? And it's been a life journey. It's been really fun, actually.
0: Okay, so you said that as a child that you could, you were saying, hey, I could see these colors, I could see these energies, and I felt connected to dreams. Talk to us a little bit about that, because, I mean, as kids, we all probably had a little more, or maybe we were just freer with our intuitions, but it sounds like you might have had a deeper connection and knew right away that you were different. How did you know you were different, and what was that like?
1: Oh, well, you know, my first memory, actually, was in the womb. <laughs> and I- I, I, I still remember it. I remembered it when I was a kid, I was sort of all of a sudden aware and I could hear if you could use the word here, I could hear my, my parents arguing and it was like all of a sudden I could see them arguing. I don't think I hung out there for the whole nine months, but I visited and left and I could literally see this. I would call them now sonic waves, sound waves of what they were talking about come into my body. You know, what's interesting is every single place those sonic waves hit my body, I have had an issue, some side of mm. problem, some sort of, you know, ear infection, broken left foot, ankle problems, etc. cetera. So I think I was just sort of turned on maybe a little too early as a kid. And so, again, when I was younger, I thought it was sort of normal to be able to speak to spirits or see colors around people. My parents thought I was making it up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They just thought I was imagining things. I remember, I remember I was about four or five, lived in Huntsville, Alabama, interesting place to grow up in uh, the 60s, by the way. And I could hear uh, what I would call hobos. We lived near a railroad in the kitchen. And I I heard them come in. I heard them making breakfast. I uh, heard them leave. I was sort of upset because I could tell that they hadn't washed the bacon fry pan. And I ran into my parents' room and I said, oh, you know, da-da-da-da-da, and my mother rolled over. And my dad got up and he said, okay, let me show you the kitchen. And of course, there was nothing there. So they sort of humored me, sort of didn't humor me. But you know what? I found out by the time I was about eight or nine that my dad's mother saw spirits and ghosts. So some of it is probably genetic. Some of it is, you know, a little bit of just who I am. And again, I thought it was normal, even though my parents pretty much ignored it until we started really heavily going to church and I, by about 10, 11, 12, and all of a sudden Satan made his appearance in my world. And all those things were said to be satanic. So Mm -hmm. then I sort of halfway shut down. I opened back up again so I can controllably hear, see, and sense. And I think most of us do. I mean, we're all empathic. We all get that sense that somebody's on the telephone. We all get a spooky feeling in certain rooms or we're standing next to somebody and we go, I kind of want to move away from them. Or we get up in the morning and we just go, something's going to happen today. I mean, I can just tell. We all get these kinds of impressions. I think because I was so-called awakened, which doesn't mean enlightened, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Awakened a little younger. I'm just probably a bit more cool with it or open to it, especially at my age, because now it's in. Now it's actually trendy.
0: Yeah. Now it's, now it's cool. Right. So now you're one yeah. of the cool kids. Well, let's stay here for a minute in your childhood. What, how did that impact you say with other kids? Were you able to fit in with other kids? Did you try and describe your experiences to other kids? Or did you realize that maybe you were different from other kids?
1: Thanks for asking. I knew I was different because I was different from my sisters because they just kept saying, stop making things up or you're always in trouble or why do you say this? Why do you say that? So. It, it was a bit more complicated than just my intuitive faculties making me not fit in. I came from a white, wonderbread Protestant, Lutheran family, which sounds normal. Uh, moved from Huntsville, Alabama, up to Minneapolis, Minnesota. But my parents were extraordinarily unhealthy people. Mentally, alcoholic, all kinds of stuff going on. So I really think that most of my shyness as a young person, like when I went to school, was about, I don't want people to know what's going on at home, rather than, I can tell that the teacher has a red aura and is going to be getting really mad. And the sensitivity somewhat got me through because I could sort of avoid situations. But I also think I knew by that time, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, that I I was just not right. That's how I uh, dealt with it. I just inverted And and told myself, I don't know if it's like, because you're just so weird, Cindy, but you're really not a healthy person or you're not right. Or It's hard. I think a lot of us come from dysfunctional family backgrounds. John Bradshaw forever ago said 97% of us. Hmm. So I look back and I go, did my abilities help me or did me hurt me? I know they got me an F one time because I was in third grade math and Mr. Fitzgerald the teacher uh, gave me a failing grade because when I took the test, I wrote, uh, (laughs) I wrote, this is not the only way to do math. I want to learn other ways to do math. (laughs) And he was like, you're a stubborn child. You should just fill out the questions.
0: (laughs) Right. Uh huh. All right. So it seems to me that that might be an interesting way to grow up, right? Especially as we start to become a little more self-aware, we're moving into our teens and Lord knows that's a difficult time enough for any child's life, but then to feel like you're separate or different and have known that for some time, I'm just wondering how that kind of works into into who you are today. And like you said, now you're you're embracing this full on, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I really started by about 1920, just going, I'm going to figure this out. When I was 12 or 13, I quit. I quit. I didn't quit my abilities quite then. I quit life. I decided, you know, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's going to go. So I said to both my parents, I'm going to die. Well, what do you do with a kid like that? Honestly, I'm a, I'm a mom. I would get them therapy, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But I said, I quit. I'm, I'm going to die. And I got really sick. And two, three days into that, my uncle, who was a doctor, had come over. Like, we're going to have to admit her to the hospital tomorrow. Um, I left my body. And, you know, you read about near-death experiences and they sound pretty extraordinary. Mine wasn't. I'm leaving my body. I look down. I saw my body. I saw the orange juice with the little Lysol beads. I don't know about you, but I grew up with Lysol cans. Like every time somebody was sick, like there's Lysol everywhere, which I have never uh, enjoyed uh, orange juice since then, nor used Lysol, even during the pandemic. So I'm leaving. I go up into this dark space and I'm feeling so happy because I'm out of there. And a voice, a, a you know, a, a voice, there's no head to it. There's no white light says, uh, you got to go back. I said, no. <laughs> and the voice said, no, you have to go back. And I said, no. And the voice said, no, you're going back. You haven't done anything yet. So I was back. I was so mad. I really have worked with a lot of teenagers too, to be honest, and 20 year olds, you know, in that age frame who are suicidal. So I think I really have a heart for that. I was so mad. I actually decided to shut down my intuitive gifts. I just said, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to do them. I'm not going to use them. I went into the teenage years the way so many of us have gone through them. Maybe we even have, you know, bursts of this as we go through life anorexia, bulimia, depression, anxiety. I don't even remember all the lists, to be honest. I went to therapy when I was 19, was on my own already. And the therapist looked at me, listened to my story and said, you know, I don't think you're only codependent OCD, you know, all the stuff that insurance pays for, which is not intuitive faculties, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. She goes, "I I think you're psychic. And something woke up inside of me. It was like, oh, I have a label. There, there's a something. There's a grouping I belong to. I was so fortunate. I stayed in therapy. I still go back in and out of therapy for different reasons. I, I'm a big believer in doing your psychological and your emotional work, um, doing your body, uh, taking care of yourself, not spiritually bypassing, which a lot of people do tend to do in my field, by the way. So I, I you know, I still kind of do all that and. Like we're going to talk about exercise and do what needs to be done. But I was lucky enough to be able to start traveling. I don't really know how all that happened, but I, I was able to get to Venezuela and Peru and various areas that still held as sacred, what I would call the intuitive powers or the intuitive gifts. And I could, I could go, wow. Oh, this whole village believes in this or this whole culture still works with. Ancient wisdom principles. And I continued that kind of pathway. Well, I had real jobs. I did real college. I had real children. Um, and, and I had this compulsion, compelling desire to go to other places, not only to find myself, but to put together some sort of, what is this? Who? It's the old, everybody wants to know what's the meaning? What are we made of? What is this about? And. I found friends. I found places. I found companions. And eventually I found that people were interested in my capabilities. And I could actually help them, not just with how do you talk to a dead person? And that's not my thing. <laughs> All right. That's kind of what's out there about intuitives. Uh, you know, rather how do I deal with being infertile or is there a way I can kind of work with my doctor to become fertile or uh, my kids have left home? How can I cope? Or I have cancer. You know, is there another way to look at what's happening or a way to use alternatives to perhaps clear it? So I've been fortunate to be a part of tens of thousands of individuals on their walking in real life, real issues, real life concerns. I have a client right now who's actively in the dying process and she's lived five extra years beyond what was given to her. You know, she's young, she's 60. To me, that's very young. And I'm not trying to perform a miracle or talk her out of it. I'm talking with her. You know, what is there? What is, what might be next? How can she prepare herself? What does she think is in the afterlife? I, you know, we are, we are whole beings. We're spirit, we're body, we're mind, we're soul. And it's not just about how do I tap open my intuitive abilities. I think everybody has them. And Oh my gosh, how fun. Open them up because they're ways to guide into our real lives.
0: Okay. Ways to guide into our real lives. I love that. And you you had mentioned a couple of times now that we're, we're all intuitive. We all have these yeah. empathetic powers. You referenced earlier, we all know that gut feeling that something's not right. We can, to some degree, I think everybody has that commonality, that experience of, Something's wrong here, uh, or something's—you know—this is a joyful experience, etc. So let's let's just jump right into it. When you say energy, what is energy? What are we talking about when we talk about energy?
1: It's a, its science. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know it's there's the woo-woo. There's right. the oh, I don't want to have my dead uncle talk to me or whatever it is. Energy is information that vibrates. That's all it is. Absolutely everything. Einstein said it. It's been proven. Everything's made out of energy. All right. Everything, you know, like here's my cup. There's water in it. That's, that's, that's energy. That's information that says this is a coffee cup. That's water. Vibration is the water's cold rather than the the water is hot. Change the vibration. The water gets hot. Change the information telling that water to be water. And maybe now it's ice or maybe it's vapor or maybe it's coffee. I mean, that's the cool thing about energy is there's not really the boundaries that we think that there are. We just don't really know how to get into the change process, the transformation when we need to. Here's the other component of energy, though. We really like solidity, don't we? As humans, we like certainties. We like solid. We knock on wood. Uh, we, we have superstitions. But the fact is, the fact is 99.999% of all energy is subtle. Very little is solid, what we think is solid, that's not solid. There's brownie in motion, everything's moving almost everything that is Cindy are fields of light and sound that we don't currently know how to measure. But with quantum physics and different ways that we're approaching the world now beyond Newton, all of a sudden we're going, "Wow, maybe this is holographic. I don't really think it is, but you know why, wow, we're just so much more we're we're sort of endless we the brain fires in eleven dimensions. Mathematically, so does the universe. It's sort of mind bending, and it's so mind bending. Most of us just go, "I just, I just want a coffee cup with water, thank you."
0: <laughs> right. Uh, I, well, I no, I think you're right. Yes, it's it's, and I think part of it is just our culture. We worship science and technology, right? And it, it, look, the science and technology have done amazing things but it's very much what I can see and measure in what you called that physical energy realm, right? And less so, and I think you're referring to it as subtle energy. So that's what I'm trying to pull apart here is this subtle energy that's all around us. And and you said, you know, it's what I am. It's what you are. It is this conversation between us, right? It is so many things that it's just, that's a little tougher to get our arms around, isn't it? So-
1: It it is. It is. So let me give you, let me give you an example. It's an experiment, a very valid scientific experiment. Years and years and years ago, scientists took, I don't think I would volunteer for this experiment, but they took, I don't know how they got it, but they took a cell out of a husband's heart. They took a cell out of a wife's heart, right? Two people married to each other. They separated those cells. They were still beating. They separated those cells you know, by, I don't know, buildings and buildings and buildings. And each cell first beat to the rhythm of the husband or the wife who were there in those rooms. After a while, those cells started coordinating. So the cells themselves, the EMF, the the sound, you know, the beat for those cells, synchronized between the husband and the wife, even though their hearts were disparate. Now, what's going on? Isn't that fascinating? It is, we yeah. emanate electromagnetic activity, sound activity, that's becoming more and more measurable and provable. That's what I'm talking about. It's subtle. It doesn't make it weak, and it doesn't make it non-real. It's connectivity. Uh, in our physical form, the physical heart emanates Sixty thousand times times more electrical activity than the brain does, and we've seen that the electromagnetic activity, you know, frequencies of two hearts separated by uh, hundreds of miles can coordinate those two physical hearts when two people think about each other. So we're we're kind of talking quantum physics.
0: Yeah, There's a yeah.
1: yeah, that's what we're talking that's, about. Entanglement. That's what I'm
0: thinking of as you say that is that quantum physics where it's we can quantum separate by Fast distances, and then I can have a cause here and an effect here. And there's just, I guess, today there's no way to really explain it. We don't understand it. I suppose there's theories, but it's undeniable that this is happening. This is a phenomenon, right? We can observe it now. We, I guess, maybe measure it a little bit, maybe not. um, But we're having a hard time defining what's going on here, I think.
1: Lots of theories. Who knows what is really underneath all this? I love reading the theories about, well, there's some level of oneness or interconnectivity, which is really what every spirituality and religion is saying. Um, and it spooks a lot of people out. I have a oldest son who really doesn't want, he uh, he loves me. I love him. He doesn't want all this. Okay. He, he, we talk about normal things. Like I'm redecorating my kitchen. We talk about, you know, what kind of granite countertop I'm going to get, um, Years and years ago, though, and he's been with his now wife for nine years, I just had this weird feeling. I was like, I was. I woke up thinking of a Red Breville waffle maker. I, I don't cook. I don't care about Red Breville waffle makers. Well, why would I even know what that is? I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. And I'm like, why am I thinking of this waffle maker? And I thought about my oldest son and his then-girlfriend, and I thought, well, I'll just send them one. So I got on a Williams-Sonoma catalog, very expensive. I figured, well, they've got to have something. I don't shop there. I'm a Target gal, you know, with two pans. And I sent this to them. About a week, two weeks later, my son texts me, he goes, Mom, did you send us a Red Breville waffle maker? And I'm like, yeah, I just kind of thought of it. He goes, why would you do that? And I said, well, I had a dream about it. I am that honest. You know, I said I had a dream about it. I said, It's so weird because three weeks ago we were talking about getting one, but we couldn't afford it. So, you know, it's a fun gift, too. It's not all about I'm going to get cancer or somebody's going to die. And they actually were intelligent enough to have me outfit their kitchen over the next two years. Just saying, just get us what you think we need. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. All right. So. You you have these gifts, like we've said. There, you you know, you've obviously you've poured into yourself and into learning about this, and you're now you call yourself an energy healer and energy intuitive. How do you Did you need to develop those skills? Did you need to pour into that, or did you? Are you just? Is it more an opening and allowing of that happening? How do you progress in this?
1: I had the skills. They they more or less shut down in my teen years. They began opening up again when I entered therapy at about 19 or 20 to work on emotional issues. And at that point, they were sort of challenging. Like I would hear uh, beeps in the night, uh, banging at night, voices calling me. I would start to get visions. Again, which I did as a kid, but I was like, I don't want to be out of control with this stuff. I believe in boundaries at every level, healthy, secure, got to have boundaries. Uh, have your disciplines. And so I was really, again, I'm going to use the word compelled to go figure out what this is. How does it work? There wasn't that much science that many decades ago, you know, about what all this was. There was more sort of new age stuff, which was sort of helpful, but sort of not. It's really why I went to other countries, because it's sort of like, how do you manage it? How do you control it? What do you do with this? How do you uh, contain it? So I went through Many, many years of figuring it, uh, analyzing it. I mean, to be really honest, some of the training was more spiritual, I, I, not ashrams. And it was sort of a lot of my own. I remember one night waking up and having a voice. I get, I don't really hear voices all the time. All right. But having a voice say, well, now you need to imagine that you're a mouse, but all of a sudden I was in a mouse, like, In on my floor in my bedroom, going, I don't really want to be a mouse. And this is a very dirty floor. So I think much of my training was probably, I would even say my own soul or helpers, what people often call them spirit allies. I took classes. I didn't get a lot of help in the classes. They would say to me, Well, just, I remember one of them, talk to a dead person. And I'm like, How do I talk to a dead person? I don't, I don't even know if I want to talk to a dead person. And honest to gosh, I feel this thing coming in my shoulder and it, and I, and I'm freaked out and I'm getting chilled and cold. And I hear this voice in my head go, Hi, I'm Tom the sailor. And I'm like, I don't want to know you, Tom the sailor. So I'm probably a bit on the frontier trying to figure out how to train myself and then help other people either control the gifts or open them insane sensible, practical, structured ways so you're not woken up at night by Tom the sailor, or you can become an energy healer, or you can be a lawyer and not invade other people's privacy, but get a sense of how to help your client. And so I've spent decades, to be honest, trying to figure out what's a system for intuition, for the subtle energy, so it can be useful for people not overwhelming or underutilized. So they can learn it. They can be safe. They can develop it. They can shut it down. You know, it's, it, I think it helped a lot that I've been really dedicated to uh, working through psychological issues because words like boundaries and feelings and containment and holding your own space and those sort of words enter my vocabulary. When it comes to helping myself or other people, uh, with their energy, you know, with their, with their healing powers. I work with a lot of people who call themselves sensitives and they have miserable lives. Like they go in a room and they feel everybody's feelings or they know what somebody's really thinking. They may not hear the words, but they're overwhelmed or, uh, they're the codependent individuals who end up with the narcissists or the alcoholics and So there's a patterning that occurs for people who have these abilities, you know, in a more empathic way. And most of the gifts are empathic. They're sensing, they're awareness, they're knowing. Two of the other categories, one is, we call it clairvoyance, it's getting images, you know, psychic pictures or signs from the environment. The other big category is in my field called clairaudience or getting verbal messages. But honest to gosh, most of it is this sense of kinesthetic and empathy. We all have it. What do you do with it, is the question.
0: Yeah, what do you do with it is the question. I do want to dig into some of that. But as you're describing that journey, it seems to me what comes to mind is what's been for as long as there's been mankind, there's been this tradition of the shaman or the healer, right? And that was an honored, sacred part of all of our ancestry up until we, we talked about kind of science and technology. And I think we've left that, right? We've traded it for this this very hygienic religion that that we have now. We've kind of lost that the roots of this deep spirituality for more ritual and formalized ways of honoring the divine reality, right? And I think what we've lost along the way maybe is that tradition of taking somebody like you, had you been in an ancient civilization where the shaman was the, was the most important person in that group, you, your gifts would have been identified early. You would have been developed. You would have been a probably apprenticed to a shaman. So along those lines, right? As you're kind of talking about these things, you're, as we, in today's society, as we hear this, most of us, are us lay people are thinking, well, that's just, that's woo-woo. That is way out there because we don't have familiarity with it. Is that, is that fair?
1: Oh, it's very much that. And, and in most and almost every ancient society and pretty much every tribal one that mm-hmm. still exists, villages, tribes, et cetera, that shaman is the priest healer. That's right. one of the meanings, you know, of that particular term. I think some of what's happened because of so-called civilization or modern society, you know, we have division of labor, we have the hunter-gatherer, we just kept going. Men do this, women do this, and, you know, and we cut the word in half, like not just shah, man, but priest, healer. So medicine went one way, hmm. spirituality, whatever you want to call that, but the sense of, of us being more than just the physical, with the physical and more at the same time those separated. So you have medicine over here, you know, this scratches their head when a tumor disappears. And they're like, well, we can't explain it. So it really didn't happen. You must not have had it. Maybe, maybe it did heal. Maybe the person dealt with an emotion. Maybe there was a, an awesome, you know, kind of undertaking. Uh, I've seen that happen. I don't promise it to clients, but I've seen those experiences where the energetic shifts the physical. And over here, like you're saying, we have these more staid religions, you know especially more of the Abrahamic religions that are very much this is how you do it, and they're witches <laughs> those shaman yeah. people, they're sorcerers, they're witches I've done much 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 reading, much study on different spiritualities I've probably read the Bible itself, I don't know, forty times worked toward a master's in divinity and analyzed it this way and that way and I'm like, well you know Jesus was a shaman and, you know, that dude was doing divination in a silver cup and there was a dreamer in here who got dreams. So we, I love that idea of we've just become sterile and sanitized. And of course, it's not about avoiding reality. (laughs) It's not, you know, it's not about pretending away the need to eat nutritionally. I met I met a shaman years ago. I'll, I'll share this story. He was an odd man, and he was very famous. And he only ate pizza and Diet Pepsi, which I'm like, whatever. But, but he said it's because he was a shaman, and he could convert that in his body. But he also attacked women and made them undress when he was working on them. And that was an extreme case. But I'm like, you're just so using this.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. So...
1: You know, the, the the real shaman puts the physical and the spirit together and then finds ways to emotionally and mentally, you know, secure that holding,
0: too. I love that image of bringing that together. And certainly one of the things we talk about on this show is just that holistic view of healthy aging, this strong, vibrant, healthy, vital person in the 50s, 60s, 70s, etc. And if you're physically strong, hats off to you, you're in the 1% in our age group, right? And if you're yeah. mentally and emotionally fit, that's fantastic. And if you're spiritually fit as well, then you're much closer to this very whole person, right? And I love the way you talk about, when we were talking about the shamanism, how medicine went one way and healing or spirit went another, it became religion and healing became our medical system. And, and both of those today, we get into a whole nother rabbit holes about talking about where those are today, but we'll set that aside. I I want to talk to you a little bit about just kind of the, let's ground this a little bit. When you talk about energy medicine and practicing energy medicine, you're a healer. What are, what sort of things are you healing? You referenced some, you know, some of the, the people that are codependents, et cetera, but what kind of people are seeking you out? Who are you attracted to working with?
1: That is such an amorphous answer that I'm going to give you. <laughs> uh-huh. People find me when something's going on. I mean, that's really probably pretty
0: broad. Is it a last resort, or are these people that are are saying, you know, I know something's. I.
1: Uh, I'll give you. Or is it a combination? The, a combination? It's a combination. Okay. So a lot of you know, I teach classes. So in those classes, are people who are healers? Maybe they're chiropractors. Uh, They run a massage school. They want to do intuitive work. Most of my classes are with people who know they're intuitive and or know they have these specific gifts. They're either using them or they're finding their way to, you know, kind of use them more professionally, certainly personally, but more professionally. Client wise, though, I attract people with problems and there, you know, Mm -hmm. there's only three life areas. There's health, there's physical health, right? And that sense of vibrancy, people lacking that. There's relationship issues and there's purpose or calling. So people come to me for any number of those. And then it's about what's really going on and what's underneath, what the presenting symptoms are. So I, of course, I usually get people who are open to energy, maybe they're therapists or they've studied a little bit of this or they've read a self-help book and or they've read one of my books or, you know, somebody just told them to call, All uh, right. I mainly get husbands whose wives or their partners are like, you just have to call this person. So I get, but I get accountants, I get CEOs, I get homemakers. It's not about the lot of life in terms of the role. It tends to be, I have a need. I'm a little desperate. Can you help me? What's really going on? Um, I'm working with a gentleman right now who's a venture capitalist and he, super normal quite wealthy, wonderful human being, he started seeing spirits. Well, he didn't want to see spirits. Who does? Who wants to do this? I mean, really, honestly, I'm not that out of it, right? And so he, through his network, called me like, what is going on? So we worked a little bit around that. And then he came down with some violent physical issues. So now we're working on what's underneath the physical. You know, what can you go to a doctor to get tested for? What might this be about? What might be in your ancestry? And he's moving through that. So he would be one of your super normal persons who's like got, a had a couple needs that have caused him to reach out to somebody who maybe sees a little bit more beyond the veil and or can help them do the same to get a strategic approach to whatever it is that's a problem. Some people call me because many, many people call me because they have that sense Especially in your fifties, sixties, seventies, you're sort of like, what else is there? You know, okay, I've done this. My kids are raised. Maybe I'm fostering. Maybe I'm this, but like throughout all of that, those, those are busy, busy years. I mean, I'm still going to baseball for my 24 year old. Let me tell you, that keeps you young (laughs) and cold in, in the Midwest. Very, I mean, wrinkle. You, you don't get wrinkles in the Midwest when you're sitting at a baseball field in so-called spring, you know, you know, spring season. But they're but they're going what else is there who else am I what else is there for me to tap open i want my body to be healthy so i can open what's left of my spirit to to dance to soar is that painting is that being a healer is that starting a new business i have a friend who just got he's always run his own businesses and he's and he's been opening that you know inner sanctum of himself and went through yoga, did all kinds of stuff that I think we reach into to get healthier physically. He just got his first real job at age 72. He's like working for a corporation. He's going, who would have thought?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: you know, it's a mystery. These are the best years. These are the best years.
0: I'm I'm 100% with you. <laughs> yeah. I, I I I think these are the best years. And I think for some of the reasons you just hit on, right? So most of us as we're entering our 50s and I'll be 59 this weekend so just kind of right in between 50 and 60 here but most of us at this age demographic were empty nesters right you alluded to that and it gives us an opportunity because you're right I mean most of my life I was you know I was working for the the home and the wife the kids and I was pouring into them and that was how my identity was wrapped around that that's what I did it kept me as you know really really busy and then all of a sudden life shifted. There was this big shift. There's this void now in, in the home. There, there aren't children. And my wife and I's relationship, which had basically been focused on the kids, are now focused basically. Look, I've got adult kids. And as you probably know, my adult kids still require a little bit of attention. I have them too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. they <laughs> are not completely independent yet, but it's just this time where we are allowed to reimagine ourselves, right? What we might, you know, I tell people, I've just now figuring out what I want to do when I grow up, right? <laughs> In my 50s. And love that you talk about some of the people you might work with, be people like, I want, I don't know what my purpose is, because how sad would it be to go to your deathbed without really knowing why you're here or knowing the joy of sharing your purpose, why you're here with the rest of the world, right? So uh I think that's fantastic, fantastic word.
1: Yeah. And it's really interesting. My mother died about three years ago. So we've probably most of us gone through that or we're going through that and those years of serving mother, raising kids and mm-hmm. exhaustion and this and that. And she died and then there's the estate and all this kind of stuff. But it really did also make me think a lot about death. And so my oldest son for three years has been going, mom, why do you keep talking about dying? You know, <laughs> I I redid my will and I I I call him up and I tell him where everything is because I know my younger son is like hopeless. He's not going to remember a thing that I tell him. I mean, he he's like, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, because it's going to happen. But it's more than that. Because facing death, which I'm I, whatever, whatever, right? I'm very, very healthy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going into the spirit of it, too. I, I'm kind of going, you know, what is it that my soul, because I believe I have a soul, but I can't prove that. You know, what is it that my soul really is always about? And I think I've kind of come up with an understanding about that, given some of the journeying that I've been undertaking into, you know, kind of ways that that I learn about myself. And um, I'm like, oh, well, I'm good with dying. So I, I'm just really good with living. So I've been booking a lot more trips. I'm very excited about, you know, the business that I'm already running. I really like it. Um, it's fun, you know, but I'm also sort of in this stage of, well, honestly, I'm redoing my house because I have this feeling I'm going to give it to my youngest son as his girlfriend. And then I'm out of here, not dead. I'm like, yeah, but I can kind of live anywhere. Oh, I'm ready for more adventure.
0: Yeah. Ready for more adventure. I love that spirit. And I love how you talk about being free of the the fear of death or the terror of death is makes you so much freer in life. And that's something I'm still, I think we're probably all always on that journey, right? Of of freeing ourselves from that fear. It, do you mind sharing a little bit of how you've, of your own personal experience of coming to terms with your mortality? Because it's obviously, you I'm happy. Yeah, please I, do. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. All right. So one way that I did that is I've done some journeying with sacred medicine. Which is sort of in right now, you know, psilocybin, DMT decades ago, before it was cool, before Hunter Biden and, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I was not cool when I first did ayahuasca. I was in my thirties. I went down to Peru many, many times. I took ayahuasca like in the real jungle, right? With a real shaman. And, you know, it was part of me getting trained on my intuition. It was in one of those journeys and I took. It, it, the stuff tastes horrible. I have no desire to do that again, just to be super honest, but one of those kind of journeys they're they're psychedelic, but they're very real and they're in the body, and they kind of make you deal with your issues too. I literally got trained in my clairvoyance I mean that that vision, that journey, the vine, if you would, the spirit of the vine, kind of said, Okay, let me train you how to do your clairvoyance the right way so more lately, after my mother died, I was like... You know, I, I'm in my, I'm in my shell. I'm in my business. I'm in my everyday life. I'm going to baseball. I don't know how to expand to those bigger questions from where I'm sitting. I don't know how to get there. So I did do some journeying with some DMT very safely. Can I just say this? If you're going to do it, dosage, professional, safe, smart. Don't just go recreational. Don't just go off. You know what I mean? It's really powerful stuff. And I was very careful, really used professional people, and also with, you know, a psilocybin journey. And the first more DMT journey, I think, opening me up to more of what I would call that spirit energy, like, oh, there's an endlessness. Doing the psilocybin was like crash and burn for a while into oh, but I'm really scared of death. I'm really scared of, I'm scared of infinity. I'm scared of eternality. I really went into terror, to be honest, and then slowly started to make peace with being an eternal being and being okay with it. And ironically, I was led more into body. I was more into, okay, I kind of get a sense of who I am after I die, I'm going to go bug my children and they won't be surprised. I'll ghost them and just be one of those people who doesn't let go and bothers their her children, which they would expect, by the way. And I went into, oh, because I'm endless, I don't need to be worried about that or scared about that. I'll make my decisions as I go. And I've had a few near-death experiences that are more real, too, about all that in my life, mature life. But it led me, ironically, back into, well, here I am. I Wow, this is so neat. So I enjoy walking my dogs more. I'm living, ironically, given what I've been doing for 30, 35 years as a living, I'm leading myself more intuitively. I'm going, what do I really want to eat for dinner? Or a a few weeks ago, I have two dogs. I love my dogs. And there's three cats in my life. I don't know what. There's just a lot of. There's a lot of people out of life forms in my life. And one of my dogs is on his literally last legs. And I'm like, gosh, lucky he's going to go. I was on the phone with a client and he was saying, you know, what are we going to do with my sheep dog? I had this one year old sheep dog who doesn't like sheep and he doesn't like the farm. And I think I'm going to have to get rid of it. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I think I'm supposed to take that dog. I'm like, I don't want another dog. So I'm arguing with myself even though you're supposed to live intuitively. And I'm like, I don't want another dog. I I I don't need this dog. I I don't I'm getting free. I don't want another dog. And I talked to my son about it, and he was like, "Mom, who's learned from me?" He goes, "Mom, why are you so freaked out? The dog's going to end up being mine. I'm going to end up in your house while you travel, and I'm going to get this dog." So, I've been really learning even more how to trust my gut, trust myself, enjoy more of life, you know, decide what do I want to eat for dinner or not? I mean, it's led me right back to all of real life.
0: <laughs> yeah. Th- well, thank you for sharing that. And um, I think that you're absolutely right. The plant medicines, sacred medicines are definitely coming back in vogue. And like you, many, many years ago, I started my journey with some of that as well. And that's, I wondered if you might go there when you answered the question. Yeah, it sort of sounded death. like it, right? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But I mean, just I mean, those types of experiences, I, I mean, for me personally, just realizing that separation is an illusion and just these these things that you can know in your body, but we just don't have a vocabulary to express, right? I can't tell you the things I learned on my journey, just like you probably do a better, you have a better vocabulary for describing these things than I do, but it's these types of experiences are very ephemeral and they're very personal, um, but they're very real, right? And there's there's just this body knowledge. And out of that, I also got this where I've always taken my body for granted. I didn't think much about my body at all. Now I have this very kind of almost, uh, treat my physicality as this very sacred vessel. It's the home for my soul. And just I have this much more beautiful relationship with myself and the world around me, and I realize that maybe we're not all so separate. And by not so separate, I, m- I mean really out of like a interdimensional woo-woo sense, not all that separate sort of thing. So a little closer to to what you're talking about here. Now, Cindy, one of the things I did want to talk—I've read you do a lot of work and talk a lot about energy blocks. So going back to our energy discussion, what is an energy block? How do I know if I got one? And if I do, how do I unblock energy blocks?
1: Excellent. So very simplistically, an energy block is exactly what it sounds like. Everything's made out of energy. So if your energy, whether that be body, mind, soul, and or the connections between those is not flowing, is not smooth, you have an energy block. And, you know, we we overuse the word in my field, right? The energy healing field is like, oh, you got an energy block or oh, you have an energy block. But, you know, that's like a really big umbrella term with a lot of subcategories. And so you may have an emotional energy block, literally feelings you're not feeling. Or maybe you're a sponge and you constantly absorb other people's feelings. And when those, it's real energy, it's subtle energy, but when those go into the physical self, when they go into your body, you can't process what's not yours. You could end up with a tumor. You could end up with a heart problem. Um, you could have a, you know, kind of part of your, you know, venal tubes aren't, or lymph system isn't flowing right. Again, maybe it's because your own feelings are stuck in there because you're not feeling them and expressing them. They could be old, they could be new, or because you have somebody else's feelings stuck in your body. So an energy block can be a mental block. It can be a really deep, dark belief. I'm a bad person. I'm not, worthwhile. We all have this stuff. You know, we, we just keep on piling it, you know, and or we assumed a way that a parent looked at us to be true. And so their way of feeling bad about themselves or they're looking at us like we're weird or bad. We inverted that. We took that in. And then that's a block that can cause not just right mental problems, but physical problems. You can have a soul block. You can have just about any kind of block. Sooner or later, here's what it comes down to, though. Sooner or later, if you have a an energy block, whether it started as psychic, whether it started as somebody else's energies or your own emotional issues or trauma or whatever it is, will cause physical problems. It will lodge. It will anchor. There's no real separation between feelings and body. I mean, feelings are made by neurotransmitters in our gut. Right. The soul, I believe is inner part of the body or needs to be in or part of the body. Our belief systems are in the head. They're also in the enteric nervous system. They reflect what's happening in the vagus nerve. That's the new thought form about trauma. They impact your heartbeat. You can hold beliefs in your heart that impact all of your organ systems. And so sooner or later, anything becomes a physical challenge or malady or sore point if we don't deal with it.
0: Okay. Yeah. When I think of energy block, I think of kind of those things, right? And I suppose then the modality for treatment then is going to be some sort of, as opposed to treating the symptom, right? Because you had mentioned these energy blocks will manifest themselves in physical symptoms. Well, if I go to Western medicine, I'm probably getting a prescription or an injection or maybe a surgery or something like that. And that may ease the the symptom, um, but it's probably not addressing the root cause, uh, I think, as you and I would agree that with that. Cindy, we've been talking pretty much about energy because that's how I found you. But you do a lot of things, right? You're a prolific author. You're a mom. Like you said at the beginning, you're a normal person. But I want to talk a little bit as we're wrapping up here, just let's kind of wrap all of this together because I know you have strong feelings about being healthy physically, being healthy nutritionally. Can you just kind of give us your prescription for healthy aging from a holistic 10,000 foot view?
1: Absolutely. So find your way of movement. It doesn't need to be somebody else's way that they move. I'm very ADHD. I get it. So know who you are. I'm ADHD. I eat in a healthy way for an ADHD person. I figure that out. You know, I know when to eat you got to exercise if you're somebody like me anyway, because you're hyperactive. Um, so I have my way. I walk 10 miles a day. When I do my client work, I'm on the phone and I walk. I don't sit down and I don't need to. And so figure out even when you take a break, you don't probably really need to go just drink Mai Tai's on the beach all the time. Why don't you walk the beach? So I, for me, I go hiking when I'm on vacation. Now, Let me say this. I went hiking in Austria last summer with a girlfriend. The first two days we hiked up the mountains. The third day, it was 96 out. Let's give me a break, right? We taxied up the mountain and walked Mm. down. So don't kill yourself. I mean, enjoy your movement. And I think it's really incumbent on each of us to figure out what our best foods are. It doesn't always work by prescription. You know, keto, paleo vegan, this and that. I've tried different things and I just kind of know what works in my body. And that's what I go with. Like I stay pretty gluten-free because there's not a lot of healthy food in America.
0: <laughs> yeah. So,
1: you know, there is just different. If I go overseas, I can eat the bread. So I stay away from what I know has really too many preservatives or bad stuff in it. Eat organic when I can. Don't kill myself. Be really forgiving because what you tell yourself when you're eating Makes a big difference in how you're digesting. Also, I don't weigh myself. That's a tip for we women. I don't care what I weigh as long as my clothes fit and I'm really healthy. I'm not going to, I'm not giving my power away to the scale. I'm thin. I'm healthy. I'm happy. I get sleep. I would never be able to frankly end up with somebody kind of in a dating long-term relationship which I'm now open to, which is exciting. So you got to know when you're ready for a relationship and not too. I think that's part of body stuff. I sleep. I'm a sleeper. I like my eight hours. And it's, you're really fooling yourself if you think you can get by without sleeping. I've had a couple clients like, because they're not probably dealing with their inner issues. Some people need six hours. Some people need nine. I don't, I can't, I don't tell people what they need, but all the studies are there. Get your sleep. So, you know, it's not that complicated. Eat pretty healthy. Eat more good food than bad foods. Don't guilt yourself if you eat a chocolate chip cookie. I won't and I don't. Get your sleep, move around, and balance with your personality socially. I'm actually an introvert at many levels, which works as an author. So I can shut down and shut the world out. And I do, I'll write and watch Netflix at the same time. So I do my internal. If I'm going to teach for an entire day, I don't go out that night. I veg out. But I'm social. I have good friends. I know who my best friends are. So I think it's all about that really everyday, normal, spherical balance, whatever you need. I know some people are shut-ins. I really feel for you. Learn Zoom. Get in some groups. Take some classes. You don't have to get out of your apartment to be social either, um, right? Yeah, so, yeah. but not but I it's really you Im- yeah. no, you don't. So it's really important to find your balance. I keep my balance on a daily basis as much as I can. If I have a if I have a deadline, I start working toward it way ahead because I don't want that college mentality where five days before I'm not eating, I'm not sleeping, I'm not this, I'm not that. I don't want a different lifestyle those days than, you know, kind of three months before a deadline.
0: I'd love all of that. And you hit on a lot of our favorite topics on this show, right? Sleep, <laughs> I think, is the foundation of over 50 health and wellness. It really is. And then I love that you started on the exercises, find something that you love to do. Cause once upon a time, I, you know, as I was just getting into, you know, my own personal journey in, in health and wellness and becoming fit and then optimizing my health and, I had kind of this more of a hardcore sort of attitude. i walking. How are you going to get healthy walking? Um, that sort of thing, right? And I've come a long, long ways. And now I'd say that the best exercise is the one that you'll do consistently, right? Sure, there might be, we could make that a little bit better maybe, but really the one that you'll do consistently is the best form of movement for you. And then on the nutrition, you just basically are saying, we're all bio-individuals. Figure it out. If you just avoid all that processed and crap that's out there and eat real whole foods, eat what agrees with you, avoid what doesn't. And then, of course, you had also mentioned, and don't feel guilty, right? Don't Let's try and get rid of the emotional eating hang-ups, which is easier said than done. But yeah, I love all of that. That's very elegantly put. What a great way to kind of wrap this up here. So, Cindy, as we're getting ready to sign off here, what's next for you? What's on the horizon? What are you excited about in the next year or so?
1: Well, I have more books. I'm doing more traveling. I I don't believe in us uh, stopping. You know, you, I think you always have to learn something new or do something new. I'm not going to take up a new language. People always say that I'm not good at that. So pick what you like doing. So I'm I'm checking into even more travels I can do. I'm ready for relationships. So I'm putting myself out there and I'm expanding my business. Actually, I'm changing my business. So I don't think you can ever just stay too stale. So, you know, I'm kind of doing some tinkering there. But I'm kind of eager to see what comes too. I think some of life is just sort of being open to the happenstance and the serendipity. And you know, you know what I mean? Kind of what shows up to do. I'm redoing my kitchen and I didn't think I was going to, but my builder has time. So it's like, okay, let's redo the kitchen. So it's sort of a balance between strategy and, Oh, this is neat. This showed up in my life.
0: Yeah, I love that that balance between, like you said, serendipity, being open and some sort of structure, some sort of goal, plan, mission, whatever that looks like. How do I execute on that and finding that space in between? All right. Well, how could people, so somebody listening to this says, wow, I really, I need, I need to learn more. I need to get in contact with this woman. I need to connect with her. What's the best way? Where do you want to send people?
1: It's simple. CindyDale.com, spelled weird, C-Y-N-D-I-Dale.com. That's it. One-stop shop.
0: Fantastic. And folks, I will put Cindy's contact info, including a, a list of all our books, our social media, all that fun stuff in the show notes. You guys can find that there. Cindy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and just sharing all your love and your wisdom and all of it, just being open to share your story with us. Really, really appreciate you having having you on today. Thank you. Okay. That's our show for today, folks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I want to let you know that we have some great free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find our guides with our top tips on nutrition, exercise, and healthy lifestyle to assist you in your weight loss and fitness journey. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you. I'll put links to everything we talked about today in the show notes, and you can find that over at silveredgefitness.com 186. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. One is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons, and you podcast folks to consider giving this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today, and until next time, stay strong.